What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 40 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their fate out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is an honor to be on this leadership journey with you. As you're seeking to be the leader you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. It is a real honor today to sit down with our guest. She is in a world that I am a fan of, but don't know as much about, but a world that declares winners and losers very quickly, and that's the world of college softball. You know, if you follow college softball, some of the greatest games you'll ever watch on ESPN on the weekend is when they're in the college softball World Series, and boy, it's heated, and the athletes and the intensity is incredible. Our guest today on episode 40 is entering her 25th season as the head softball coach at the University of Oklahoma. She is widely thought of as one of the most successful softball coaches in NCAA history and is already a member of their Hall of Fame. Patty Gasso has been with the Sooners for years, and she has won four national championships during her 28 seasons as a head coach. She is an amazing leader, an amazing lady, and let me tell you something, amazing in the area of leadership. So whether you're a baseball guy, football guy, if you're a business lady, if you are a business man, you're trying to to put together leadership, Patty Gasso lays out a great track for you to run on and some great lessons for you to learn. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my time with Coach Patty Gasso. Coach Gasso, thank you so much for joining me on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, tell me a little bit, man. We we look at your life now. You have led Oklahoma to become one of the great powerhouses in college softball. God has used you in some incredible ways. There are national titles in 2000, 2013, 2016, most recently 2017. But you probably didn't just end up there. Tell me a little bit of your journey and even the spiritual part of your journey. Where did your walk with the Lord begin for you? How did that get started? Wow. Uh, Well, um, quite honestly, it's, I grew up um, going to Catholic school all my life and um, was in a family that wasn't so much going every Sunday, uh, more of a a holiday family that attended church. Uh, I did find myself when I was younger turning on the TV and kind of secretly watching Billy Graham and his crusades. and. I remember one of my siblings coming in and seeing me watch it. It's almost like I had to hide. So like they caught me and said something about being a Jesus freak, because back in those days, that's how they called a Christian was like, because <laughs> it was the, the, we thought of Christians as the ones that wore the colored um, wigs at yep. football games or, or holding up, signs and it was just not the norm. So I was always almost felt like I was kind of secretive in the way I was doing things. Uh, as I got older, um, I met my husband who was a Christian and we kind of battled a little bit over which church we were going to go to. But um at that time, I didn't know it, but God kind of had me surrendering to follow his lead in that way. But I also had a really good friend of mine who was a strong Christian, and she taught me a lot biblically. So I I just kind of um, 
wanted to know more, but I was also kind of standoffish because it wasn't my church, mm-hmm. although I didn't go to a Catholic church regularly. So it was, wow, I'm not kneeling. I'm not sitting in a pew. I'm sitting in something that's more like a movie theater, you know, in a comfortable seat. This doesn't feel right. I just kind of guarded my heart. And um, I finally felt like I didn't know. I kept hearing what was what born again. What does that mean? That sounds so crazy. I don't understand. And I just started to pray that God would show me what that meant. And um, I've never seen people being baptized as adults. They were only baptized as babies. So I would watch some baptisms and think, wow, what is that about? And just kept researching, kept praying, kept wanting to know, kept asking questions. And um, I'll never forget my uh, years at Long Beach City College when I was coaching softball. Uh, I was of all places. I mean, God has a, uh, just a unbelievable way of making things happen and that you'll never forget where you were. And I was on the softball field. I was actually coaching a game and I can remember it like it was yesterday when I was waving a runner in to score and I felt God's presence. Uh, like I knew, I knew the Holy Spirit hit me at that point. I mean, there was no denying it. I knew it. And uh, I remember leaving the game and running home and just like telling my husband, I, I, now I'm born again. I felt the Holy Spirit. God's answered my prayer. You know, I just, it changed my life. It changed my world. I knew it. And I'm standing on a softball field. How else would God make that present to me? So that really was a life-changing moment um, for me in my my walk. And um, I don't know, God just has timing, sometimes sense of humor. But He uh, hit me as the Holy Spirit hit me, and and that's really how it happened. That's so good. What changed about you? So you were already in the coaching world. You were out of college. You were already in, in that new role. What changed about you as a coach when you began that spiritual journey? The X's and O's of softball, the, the, the dynamics of the game didn't change, but what changed about you? Um, I, I think being a little more um, Christ-like. Okay? I just wanted to be um, a difference maker for people. I, I wanted to be more of a leader, not so much on the softball field, but in in my athletes' lives or anyone's life. And I was coaching at the junior college, and junior college was probably one of my most rewarding places of where I've coached because those are the athletes that are kind of lost in a sense. They got looked over. They didn't have good grades. They've got family issues. There's the lost kids kind of in this place of, am I ever going to play after this? And uh, I felt needed. I felt, I felt needed. I felt like I needed to lead these kids to Christ however I could without, you know, overstepping my bounds. But really it was through um, the change of my personality, which became a little bit more um, respectful and making sure that I was living my life Christ-like. So I I think um, my language, my comments, my... Um, I don't know, just everything about me just wanted to be um, an example of what Christ would look like. That's so good. And now you're, you're at a junior college, a role opens up at Oklahoma. You make that move uh, to where you're at. Cause you've been at Oklahoma. How many years now? 24 years. 
24 seasons at Oklahoma. I've been at my, my church for 21 years. When you've been there that long and you look back on it, is it hard for you to even imagine that door open there for you? Walk me through that a little bit about how that door even opened for you to end up where you are today. Well, I, <clears throat> coaching at Long Beach City College, my boss was a Hall of Famer with um, the Amateur Softball Association. So she was a big softball player and kind of a, a legend and a, a pioneer in the game. And she would always go to the College World Series. Now, we're living in Long Beach, California. And my house literally was about four blocks from the, from the ocean. I could see the ocean as I stepped out in my front yard. So I would go with her to Oklahoma City to watch the College World Series. And honestly, I would tell you, I'd sit there and think, wow, it would be really cool if one of the Oklahoma universities were in the World Series. I wonder how many people would show up. And um, I would say at that time, there was maybe 2,000 people at the World Series, which to me was an enormous crowd. And I, you know, just kept thinking, wow, that would be pretty neat. Let me look around the university. And, and there, there was no intention of moving, no nothing. I got to know Marita Hines, who was the senior women's administrator uh, at OU. And again, no intentions, no nothing. Uh, the coach at the University of Oklahoma had a brain aneurysm and mm -hmm. thankfully survived it, but just was not capable of coaching anymore. So uh, Marita Hines called my boss, Mickey Davis, at the university or at uh, Long Beach City College and said, would your softball coach be interested in talking to us? I was pregnant with my younger son, who's now 23 at the time. And I knew, really know nothing. I had no family, knew nothing, no one in Oklahoma. So uh, I honestly was getting a little bit bored at the junior college and feeling like, what would the next level be like? I'd love to stay in California, but Coaches weren't leaving California, big jobs, uh, Division One jobs, and who would hire a junior college coach? So I came out on an interview, which is still shocking to me when I look back. I can't believe that I actually came out for an interview, but it was an opportunity for a D1 you know, interview at least. So I came out, and um, I just remember – thinking, where are all the people? I mean, I'm from LA. Where, where do the people live? <laughs> Why aren't they out on the streets? Where are all the cars? And uh, I can tell you the thing that I remember the most is just the people here in Oklahoma were so welcoming and not in a phony way. They were just really genuine people. The program at Oklahoma at that time was in shambles and they didn't have a stadium. They played at a park um, across the street from the university, but it was a division one opportunity. And I, you know, talked long and hard with my husband. We came out for a second interview and I got the job and I still can't believe after 24 years that I did take it. And uh, I did being six months pregnant and um, I guess the rest is history. It, it's crazy. So I was, I was looking on y'all's website. You've had 1,203 wins since you've been there at Oklahoma. Did you ever dream that it would be the success that it is today? I mean, in the, in the world's eyes, you're looking in going, Man, they have they have achieved at an incredibly high level. Did you have that vision when you met these nice people, but saw the the stadium not being what it not what it was? Were you able as a leader to see what you thought it could be? Honestly, I did. Yeah. Uh, if I didn't, I would not have taken the position. Now I wasn't given great field 
or stadium resources by any means. So it's not, I'm not recruiting you to come to our field, but more recruiting young women as to what I saw. And that was the people, that was the beauty of the campus. That was the education, which is, um, we like to think of ourselves somewhat of the Ivy League of the Midwest. We have a very strong academic and a lot of money put into our academics. Um, the resources I did get in the way of our budget, I had everything that I needed except a, a strong stadium. But I, uh, I just know my style, and it's very blue-collar. It's very hardworking. It's very passionate. And the only way I know I can coach successfully is getting athletes and, and my assistant coaches to buy into what I'm doing. And I knew that I could do that. So I, I didn't come in claiming we're winning national championships, but I came in saying, I know we can win here. I, I know I can get the right players to do it. What kind of player flourishes under you? So you've been in recruiting and coaching long enough now to go just because they have the right star by their name or they played on the right summer travel team or they have the right pedigree may not make them an Oklahoma softball player. What what would you describe as the type of athlete that flourishes under your style? First and foremost, hardworking, uh, obviously talented, and with the uh, opportunity to get better. I, humble. I like. I, I'm not big on the showy athlete, the one that likes to be seen. I like the ones that make the plays, and you go, "Wow, that's so easy!" And it's really not an easy play. It's a hard play that they can make look easy. Uh, the ones that will absolutely buy into what we're doing, the ones I can trust, the ones that are not entitled, that they understand how to work for things. And a lot of that comes by how I know their parents. Mm. The parents tell me a big story about what their daughter would, would be like. Um, the ones that are not overly emotional in the way of there's not a lot of drama to them that they're somewhat independent or I believe they can be independent and um, I don't know, self-confident, have strong self-esteem. And if I'm being honest, I don't get that when they come to Oklahoma as freshmen, they don't have a lot of self-esteem because they're walking in thinking, Oh my goodness, all of a sudden I'm on one of the top five teams in the country. Am I worthy? Do I fit here? Uh, can I find a way in this lineup? There's a lot of questions and doubting, doubting questions. So I look for the athlete that I think would come in kind of savvy and say, bring it on. I'm a freshman. I, I can beat you out. They're not afraid of competition. They're not afraid of failure. And those are hard athletes to find, but those yep. are the ones that will flourish under me. Who fails under you? Who are the athletes that you go looking back in the rearview mirror of, of 24 seasons? These, these type of athletes just probably aren't going to do well in my program. Entitled athletes, the athletes, like, like I said, that, that look for the TV cameras that are looking to be acknowledged that are a little showy or flashy I'm, I'm, they don't do well with me because it just doesn't fit who we right. are. I would say the non-hustling or just kind of a lazy, undisciplined athlete, an athlete that does not make good decisions. And they all make mistakes. They all will make bad decisions. But those that make them over and over again definitely won't make it. The ones that don't go to class, definitely won't make it um the ones that are always looking for affirmation from me or looking towards me did I do that right did you like the way I you know I like the kid that can stand on their own feet and handle the pressure do we help them with that yes but the ones that melt under pressure 
because they're afraid of disappointing. I, it's not about me. And that's yeah. what's hard is a lot of them think, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble. That doesn't happen at the college level, but they've played in some setting that makes them believe that. And those are some of the chains that we've got to break. Those that are have a chokehold, some of them have chains around their neck because they're always trying to please others. Mm. And uh, so those are those are the kids that will have a hard time making it. But if they allow, if they fall in and trust what I'm trying, where I'm trying to take them and surrender this stuff, they can make it. But you go back to when you started at Long Beach State and you go to where you are now, all these years you've had in coaching, what's changed about kids? You know, we read books, we see articles about the millennials. Before that, it was the Gen Xers. What have you seen as a coach and recruiting and leading? And, you know, and as I played college baseball and, you know, our coach was probably, he was our pastor at times. He was our counselor. He was our parent. He was a little bit of everything for us during those four seasons. What have you seen change about kids during the years that you've been in it? I'd say confidence, um, unable to stand on their feet because they're, and I look, I'm not judging anyone because I'm guilty. I've done this with my own kids, but um, enabling them, they, I, I give them things. They had, my kids didn't have to work because they were playing sports. So I, I gave them things and so the idea of earning, saving, cherishing things, I think kids know if I lose it, my mom or dad will buy me another one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think we we give things too easy to these guys, to these kids. So um, I think that's what I've seen change, just cherishing things. I, I think they're kind of materialist, like they like stuff. You know, they have to have stuff. Um, obviously, social media has changed the world, let alone athletics. So the attention span is a little bit different. Um, I don't know. It's just a not maybe so much a grinding generation of more of um, – I'll do it on my time, mm-hmm. but when I get these athletes in our program, they a lot of this. I think they feel like I don't need structure, I don't need the discipline. They do. Everyone wants it because they feel safety with that, and and that's what I try to make sure that they understand. Is I'm not a dictator. I include them in what I'm doing. I think how I've changed towards them is let's make a game plan together. Let's all do this together. Let's all buy into the direction we're going together. I think that's what they need and want is a voice. And I give them that voice. If you could sit down, you know, we live in Atlanta and sort of the baseball softball Mecca in a lot of ways, there's just stuff everywhere. Travel softball is travel baseball. It's crazy around here with some of these complexes and it's amazing and crazy at the same time. If you could pull up a chair at a softball tournament and you could sit down beside a parent and you could give them some perspective, what do you wish every parent knew that they need to know that will help their child, not just be a success on the softball field or on the baseball field, but a success in life. What, what are some things you wished you could tell every parent when you're going to recruit at the at the national softball competition out in California wherever it's at wherever the big tournament is this summer in one of the big uh one of the big ones at the end of the summer if you could pull up a chair and tell a parent here's what I would love for you to know and hear from a college coach what would it be allow your child to fail because the only way they're going to get better is to fail so when the game is over and they didn't have a great game, 
Don't make excuses for them. Don't blame the coach, the umpire, other teammates. Just accept that maybe it wasn't a great performance, but that's part of what great athletes do is make sure that they fix that or that it never happens again. And I've told many young athletes who struggled that Michael Jordan was cut in high school. That's right. It's that there's just so much work that needs to be put into what an athlete does that I would have parents encourage them, allow them to fail. You can be there to encourage them, but don't make excuses for them. Don't enable them. Don't spoil them with things. Get them to earn things so they understand and appreciate when they get things. I would I would also caution them on what they're saying on that long car ride home, which I think is absolutely lethal to young <laughs> athletes. Because we as parents, I think, and again, I'm not judging. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. When you're taking your kid home after a competition and it didn't go well, uh, I would bet majority of car rides home with many athletes is a parent just talking about why didn't you do this? You messed up here. You should have done that. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because it's a reflection on us. Their, their performance is a reflection on their parents. Um, if my child is not working hard, if they've got a lazy attitude or um, body language is not good or they're sending those kinds of messages, is when I would, I would definitely jump in and say, do you have passion to play? Why are you playing? Because you look like you don't enjoy what you're doing. But I would not rip the performance, but more say, what do you need to get better? What do you need to do? Go out and do it. And that's another thing I'd say is get your kid to work on their own. And I don't mean, um, this is probably going to be another subject we get into, but when I was younger, they don't have this anymore. I just went out and played. My friends were out and we played and that's how I learned. I learned the game through playing it without someone telling me, okay, don't step there, step there. Put your arm in this slot. When you stride, don't, you know, it's always, everyone's telling, I got to learn. I get that. But there's so much money going into private instruction. And I think it's good, but some of it is totally overdone. And a kid loses their ability to be a free athlete because all they're doing is analyzing every step, every move they make. So uh, I just like the freedom of kids going out and playing every once in a while with no supervision or parents or coaches or umpires. Let them figure out how to play. Uh, I like to do that at my practices. I just say, here's the ball, here's the bat, go at it. Make your rules, make your teams the way it used to be. And that's how you find out who your leaders are. So I know that (laughs) I'm probably very old school, but those are the things that changed my world and taught me how to be a leader when I really wasn't. I I love that. And I coach, um, I'm a pastor for a living, but coach baseball on the side for fun. It's a hobby I do in the evenings. And I brought in a guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of Jack Llewellyn. Jack was the sports psychologist with the Braves for years. He's been in that industry forever. And he brought a, he brought a pair of scissors to a parent meeting for me. And he said, these are for you to cut the umbilical cord. Your job now is to be a fan and to cheer them on, but you don't have to coach anymore. You get to cheer them, you cheer for them and love them and be their fans. That's what they need. The coaches will coach. Y'all be the fans. And, and that is a, uh, you know, I dealt with it. I had a kid come through the program. It's hard. It is the hardest balance. But those are things every parent, when their children are done playing, will be glad that they did. And everybody's done playing at some point. It may be later, but most kids are done at some point. And those are those are good words. What do you wish you could tell every coach? Let's take a high school softball coach 
that, man, they're giving it all they've got. They're pouring in um, to these kids. I, we were talking before we went on there. I was with one yesterday. And what would you want every high school softball coach to know about what you need at the next level? If they could do anything in the high school world, travel world of training up young ladies to be what you need later, what would you, what would you advise them to do? Not get caught up in the outcome all of the time. Not to talk about, we must win this game. We must win, we must win, we must win. More of getting caught up in the process of how that works and the little victories that you see every day at practice are the things you should be celebrating because they will show in game. But when you get caught up in we must win this game, win, 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 what's our record, record, record who, who really cares? I, I know everyone does because this society is about winning. But to me, as a coach, what is keeping me in this profession is watching athletes improve mm. and watching the light bulb go off and watching them figure something out and it changes their whole world. So to me, it's the process. And most importantly, I'd say to every high school or any coach, allow these players to play with freedom. After they make a mistake, do they look at you and see what your reaction is and your head's down or you're kicking the dirt or you're shaking your head like in disappointment? That's part of greatness is making mistakes. Allow them to make mistakes without you barking at every mistake that they make. Because the less you bark, the less mistakes they'll make. Allow them to play with freedom. Now, if they're not focused or they keep doing the same thing over and over again, now step in and say, make an adjustment. We're not, we're, you're, let's make an adjustment here. We're missing something. But talk to them as, um, a teacher, not a dictator, and allow them to get comfortable in what they're doing. Because if they're not, they're never going to find their potential. How do you balance that? So you, you're you're in a business that you could have accomplished all you've accomplished, and it is that. What have you done for me lately? Is that something daily you have to remind yourself of when you head to the field? Um, Y'all are in fall now, and all your preseason work, and then the season gets rolling in the spring. Is that something you have to remind yourself of a lot? 100%, yes, because I changed my coaching style. I honestly, and that's through the help of, of God telling me you're doing this wrong because I was the coach that was caught up in winning, and I was miserable. I was miserable. I wasn't a good coach because I was caught up in that, and my stress and pressure was being put on my athletes. And God really slapped me upside the head, so to speak, and said, no, 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 no. This isn't how you do this. You're really more about, um, instead of winning games, you're trying to win some souls here for me. You're trying to get these athletes to understand that their self-worth is not in the sport they play. Softball is not to find you as a person. Allow them to get to understand who they are in the world versus what they do is makes them, you know, Paige Parker, the great pitcher, or Paige Parker, the young lady that enjoys the baking, enjoys going to the movies. I mean, I try to make sure that these athletes have an identity and a life outside of what they do. But I have to remember daily that uh, I need to meet them in a space that they're safe, where I continue to make them feel comfortable and safe. Because uh, back in the day, I I was I'm not gonna I uh, I was kind of a <laughs> very vocal, <laughs> and I'd be on you. I was a hard coach to play for. Uh, I wouldn't say it was Bobby Knight material, but. Uh, I was I was on athletes, and they could perform, and they did win. But I just realized it wasn't I wasn't enjoying my. That's not me, hmm. and that's when God opened up my eyes and showed me the right way to do this. 
So, and I, and I, this is probably a more of a selfish question than for anybody listening in. This is for me. So you, you build in that freedom. I love that. Here's a ball. Here's a bat. Go pick a team. That's the era I grew up in. Um, you know, I know drills are incredibly important. I know structure is incredibly important, hitting base running, PFPs, all those things that you've still got to do. How do you balance the two of those? Because your team's perform at an incredible level. And I know y'all probably, there, there's drills they probably do every day. How do you balance that freedom and discipline in the program? I think just, again, not emphasizing the must, you must. I mean, they understand at this level at Oklahoma, uh, we can't take days off. We can't take pitches off. We can't take practices off. You have to come ready to play. So I keep things very, very active. I keep things very competitive at practice it's very competitive where i love to see two or three athletes fighting it out at one position I, there's nothing i enjoy more because it makes all of them go to another level if that's the position they want to play so it's it's always competitive but it's always not so serious where i'm not just constantly barking that allows them it's not over teaching it's not over barking um but more of just the the fun and thrill of watching athletes go to another level through that you've got to be disciplined you've got to have good organized practices our team is at their best when they compete and i need to see them compete at that level so there's always some kind of competition in our practices that allow them to, to get to that level, but doing it in a way that if a ball goes right through your legs, I'm not going to lose my mind. I'm not going to say anything because it's not like that player to allow that to happen. I can guarantee you that it won't happen again. So that's, I'm at a different level where I'm able to do that, but I think any coach can, do that if they start their season that way and everybody kind of understands hard work yet freedom to make mistakes is safe it's a safe place that's that's a key word is freedom and safety safety to be who you are safety to do these things and know that you're not going to be miserable afterwards that's so that, that is great that is very good that is very good and very interesting to hear that perspective. And, and I think some of that's longevity. You've been in it long enough now to have try, tried all the stuff and go, and you're able to say, this works. This, this does. How do you balance, Coach? How do you balance this striving? Because everybody that puts on a hat, puts on a uniform, we want to be the best and we want to win. How do you balance that with your faith? How do you keep those in check? You know, um, I would not be coaching at OU still. I mean, I'm one of the, I think I'm the longest standing coach at OU right now at 24 years. I wouldn't be here without my faith. Mm. And I've gone up and down throughout my career, no doubt. But I know that um, the Lord will always set me straight, always. And as long as I have him on with me, he guides me and I listen and I used to not listen. I used to think that I knew what I was doing and I'm, I know Lord, I'm going to do it this way. And that's when I completely, you know, run into the wall, like, okay, what am I doing? I just, in my ego, whatever it is you want to call it, stupidity <laughs> gets in the way. But um, the way I balance it is always surrender and let the Lord step in and lead us. And when I do that, he takes us to incredible, incredible places. And I'm not talking about just raising trophies, but watching hearts on our team change. The championships are great, but watching people, watching my athletes get baptized, mm watching my athletes um, share their testimonies on national television, 
those are the championships. And I know, you know, people might go, yeah, okay. I, I'm being honest. That's what, that's where my memories are. It's not, look how big my ring is. I don't care. <laughs> it yeah. goes away. The lights turn out. The lights will go off. The memories will fade. But that memory and those memories will never, I will never forget some of the things that the Lord has done within our team. And that has kept me absolutely balanced. If I didn't have him, I, I would not be working in this job. I know I would be burnt out and done. Mm. What are daily disciplines you put in to help you be that? So to keep that focus, what are what are the daily things that you've probably instilled in your life that keep your heart and mind in the right place spiritually? Pray, prayer, um, having the Lord in the forefront of my mind. Um, whenever I am uncertain, I always will go there. I I wish I could tell you that I'm a sit down, get up at five in the morning and read my Bible every morning. I, if I'm being honest, it's, I'm not consistent with that. Sometimes I trust my, my husband is more disciplined in that way. So he will share his readings with me. Um, I always will listen to uh, Caleb on the radio. If I can't be reading, I can be, uh, encouraged by worship music and encouraging words and so forth, but um, mainly prayer and um, just having my mind right and keeping the Lord with me every day. Was there ever part of the journey? I know that you've probably had some incredible mountaintops, but have, uh, have there been some valleys during these seasons? And sometimes you thought about pulling out the white flag and going, I don't know if I'm really cut out for this. From a coach side or like from the spiritual side or the life side or just any that, situation. Yeah. Cause okay. yeah, I mean, just, it could be coaching. It could be, it could be life where you're just like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can keep, keep doing this. Have you ever walked through that season? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's two things that stick out for me and neither one is involved with softball. I've never walked away from a season because we didn't win or we didn't do well or anything and say, I want to quit. I, that makes me want to go. <laughs> when we have failure, I can't wait to get back and get it right. So wow. I've never had that kind of valley on the field ever. Mine are more, one, I had two young kids at that time here at Oklahoma where my husband was living in Fullerton, California. And the idea was I was going to finish up my season and then we were all going to move back to California because the salary wasn't making the work that goes into it and the salary weren't matching up. But there were those times in a couple of years where my husband was in California and I'm raising these kids, he's raising them from afar over the phone and I'm trying to do it while coaching here at OU. And I just, I thought I can't do this. It's not fair to my kids. It's not fair to my team. Um, it was very difficult as a mother and a, and a coach, which direction am I supposed to go? I can't, I'm not good at anything right now. And I do remember talking with my son, JT, and he was probably about 10 at the time and asked him, what do you think? What would you feel like if I just stopped coaching? I'm done. And I spend more time with you, with you guys. And he was pretty much like, no, first it was like, no, we, we love going to OU football games. We wouldn't get our free <laughs> tickets anymore. <laughs> so that was the most important thing. Uh, but it was more of a, a, the love of him saying, if you weren't coaching, you wouldn't be the mom that we know. Wow. We're okay. 
we're at the field. We're with you. We're watching. They're not watching games. They're playing. They love to play or, you know, with other kids at our game. They weren't really watching. But it was more like, don't worry about us. We know what you're doing. We know that you love us. We, we're okay. And that helped me a lot going forward, which now, in hindsight, now um, in my 24th year, my oldest son, JT, is my assistant coach, hitting coach. And my son, DJ, who I came out here with when I was pregnant, is now my um, graduate assistant. So wow. it's just that's God going way to hang in there, bring them around full circle. Uh, and then another real quick other situation that really, really made me say, I just, I, I can't do this anymore was uh, I was having Bible studies at my house with my players. I wasn't the leader. Uh, I had uh, a woman from our church come in and lead it. And there was probably four or five players that would come out of a group of, say, 18. And one player that didn't come to these Bible studies went to our administration and said, our coach is doing this, and I believe that she has favorites. And she's treating those who are at the Bible study different than everyone else. And that absolutely broke my heart, devastated me, made me want to quit. Um, I just, I didn't even know. I just felt like, uh, what am I going to do now? Like, I have to stop doing these now. How am I going to go about this? If I can't connect with my athletes this way, then I can't coach. Mm. And that was a big blow to me and my heart in what I was doing. Mm. It's funny. Um, both of those things. It's so interesting to hear you say that too. And I don't, I, I'm a fan from a distance, but just hearing you say that the enemy has an incredible way of attacking the things that mean the most to us, our family and our faith. And it's funny, your, your valleys don't have anything to do with coaching because it's just a hobby. That's what you do. That just happens to be what you do. Your valleys came from the two things that are the most, where you get the most fulfillment from, which is pouring in the lives of your kids and pouring in the lives of your players. It's really interesting. And the enemy knows that. And he's got a great game plan, doesn't he? For our lives to get us to pull out that flag to go, I just don't even want to do this anymore. I can't do it and, and lose that influence. That That's really, really good. It, as you as you continue on your career and and looking back in the rearview mirror, you've had hundreds of players come through your program, hundreds of young ladies' lives that you've touched. Whether they ever sat in a Bible study, but they were they were around you at practice, they saw you on your good days, they saw you on your bad days. At the end of all this, what do you want players to remember most about you? Hmm. Um, I would say they appreciated that I was myself in the way of that I really shared with them who I am. They know about my faith um, and they respect it. And they know about my passion for the game. They know about my, my stance on um, fairness for females and not being afraid to stand up when things aren't right, stand up for yourself. Um, but I was a good teacher and a good role model to them, um, that I inspired them. Maybe I had an influence in their life um, that I made them laugh. That's important for me. I like, I like to think that I have a sense of humor. Maybe I'm the only one that thinks that, but I, I like to make them laugh and make them comfortable. But I, I would say, too, like Coach Gasso, I, she's got you. Like a player, would, I would want them to say, she's always there. She's got me. No matter what, whether I'm 30 years out of the program, she's got me. I can call on her. She's got me. If I need help, she's got me. If I need prayer, she'll be there. And that's important for me. And I don't care if they're 
like I said, 30, 40 years out of the program or a newbie in the program. I want them to know that I'll always be there. I hope you enjoyed that time with Coach Gasso. You know, leadership is leadership, isn't it? It doesn't matter what field you're on. It doesn't matter what boardroom you're in. It doesn't matter what uh, you're attempting to do in schools or in a corporation. Leadership's leadership. Patty Gasso is a leader of leaders. And I tell you what, I took away so many little tips that I use now in coaching. I use now in leadership. Just the way she looks at things and the way she looks at life. Amazing, amazing leader. And I have no doubt that the University of Oklahoma will be right back in the thick of it again this season. Because when you've got a leader like that at the helm and they assemble good talent around them, they always make great marks. Patty Gasso is making a mark not only in college softball, but she is making a mark in life through the way that she pours in to her young ladies. I hope you enjoyed that time with Coach Gasso. I know that I sure did. Well, episode 41 is going to be equally as fun. We're going to have a great time sitting down with somebody. You probably, uh, like in the Coach Gasso world, you may have heard of the school he's at. You may not know him personally, but the who guiding the what is great. His name is Coach Butch Thompson. He's the head baseball coach at Auburn University. We had the opportunity to get to know each other a couple months ago at a baseball event And you are going to love his insights on leadership, his insights on coaching. You know, it's February. It's it's baseball rollout month, right? So we had to get a couple baseball and softball folks in there. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So until next time, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend. Share it with somebody that you enjoy. Let them know what you've learned. And until then, go be the leader that you were created to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.